0: But at other times, you know, when I teach the archetype system that I work with, sometimes people right away see their thing and they go, oh yeah, that's who I am. And it can be a freeing process.
1: Well, that's a good segue because Tony and I know exactly who we are. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're,
2: we're doing this podcast, sort of. Welcome to the Artist Engineer Podcast. Join me, Tony Tran. And me, Bill Robert Pazzi. Along with our amazing guests as we explore how people's inner artists and inner engineer present themselves in their technical careers, in the art that they create, and most importantly, in living creative lives. In this episode of the Artist Engineer Podcast, we're talking with Gary Bobroff. Gary's an international speaker, author, and workshop leader. His latest book is Carl Jung, Knowledge in a Nutshell. He's also the founder of Jungian Online, a referral site that connects clients with Jungian therapists worldwide. In our discussion, Gary explains the origins of Jungian archetypes and their relationship to personality types, such as Myers-Briggs and the five Buddha families. We explore our artist-engineer theme through the lens of the sage-slash-mediatrix archetype, with this archetype's strong interest in problem-solving, understanding, and knowing, but also this archetype's shadow or the values that artist engineers might be unconscious of, but could help them achieve more balance.
1: Well, we are very happy to welcome Gary Bobroff to the show. Welcome, Gary.
2: Thank you, Bill.
0: Thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to speak with you.
1: I'd like to begin with a little background to today's discussion. As Tony and I were working on the concept for this podcast, we're pretty familiar with what we call the artist engineer personality from our own experiences and relationships, working for decades in the tech field. In all honesty, also from our own individual perspectives. For us, what it means is a lot of our technical people who also have a creative side, and either they have an outlet for that, the programmer, musician, or they combine the two, technology and art, into something pretty amazing. I was also familiar with Various personality assessments like Myers-Briggs and the Berkman method, which I use in my coaching practice and a lot of these personality types and personas have their roots in a deeper history and that's where Gary's expertise comes in. I was familiar with Gary's work on Carl Jung's archetypes and I thought it'd be interesting and fun to have a conversation with him about this from a bigger perspective. So some folks in our audience might not know about archetypes. So Gary, maybe that's a good place to start where we can give a little brief overview and then we can kind of dive into it.
0: Okay. I'm happy to talk about that and happy to be here with you guys. And uh, yeah, excited to see where we go. Such an interesting podcast you've developed. And I think this is really going to fit in. So uh, let's go. So the term archetype, of course, comes from the Greek philosophers. Uh, and refers to the idea of original impression, original form. Uh, that there is um, what I would say is uh, uh, best definition is that there's a symbolic whole to an archetype. An archetype describes something that has a symbolic whole of meaning. So, a very classic example you'll hear throughout the Jungian world would be an example, say like the color black. So we think of the color black perhaps with mourning, perhaps with seriousness like black and white ball or black and black tie affair. There's all these different associations that we make with black that somehow sit together. It's an intuitive perception, it's not literal, it's related to meaning, but there's a symbolic whole that we can find there. So it does require that capacity in us. Um, to be able to think symbolically and put things together in a meaningful way. Uh, But that's the kind of way that I I think about Did You want to get into a more uh, behavioral or a more concrete explanation than that, but that's the sort of general way I like to introduce it.
1: Well, I I think it's where you hear about it a lot culturally now. Mm -hmm. So you can, you know, Google it on the internet, right? The pop psychology is out there. I know certain personality types that people may be experience with, like Myers-Briggs, I believe some of that work was based on, say, Carl Young's work with personality types. Yes. So I guess that's behavioral, right? And that's where it's starts feeding into people's lives. So I think that's where we kind of want to explore.
0: So to take it to the next level, there's a way that we also use uh, archetype, to, archetype to talk about personality. So to, to understand the difference, and I'll just outline it for people that maybe know a bit about Jung and know this difference. So there's a general way that there's sort of thousands of archetypes and any sort of motif in folklore might be an archetype, Uh, any sort of pattern that we see cross-culturally might be something that we refer to as an archetype. But in the sense that you're talking about, it really brings it closer to my work, which is using the term archetype to refer to personality. Um, So there's a way that archetype does connect to what we get into with Myers-Briggs, and there's a way that that these things are all related, and I would say a little bit tangled, and part of my work is trying to untangle them and to show people, okay, there's these different things and how do they all fit together. So certainly with um, personality types, uh, which Jung wrote in 1921, or psychological types, which Jung wrote in 1921, later became personality types by other folks, and uh, uh, the Myers-Briggs team, uh, came along and turned that into the Myers-Briggs and added the fourth category. But Jung gave us introvert-extrovert. He gave us intuitive feeling, These are intuitive sensation and thinking and feeling. Those are the three um, psychological types that he talks about and wrote about in 1921. Uh, and Tony Wolff was there with him, helping him with that. And of course, Jung's work reflects an earlier tradition and he is pulling from other sources before him but Tony was there helping him. And it's, it's speculated that Tony added this piece of the intuitive sensate. So people that understand things in a sort of a holistic way, reading between the lines, versus the sensate person who's really good at detail and really, really you know, um, can, can get into the fine differences of color and touch and taste and, and all these you know, sensate details things. And Tony said, look, there's another way of being where, where you, you know, maybe you're, you're not as crisp with the details, but you, you're getting things that other people, you know, some people really don't read between the lines super well. Some people live in reading between the lines and miss the concrete detail. And these are different ways of being. And whether we talk about it as an archetype or a personality type, there's stuff going on there that points to real differences in people. And I think those are really important to understand. And to me, that's the nature of my work. Um, is to say, hey, people are different. People are not all the same. People do not have all the same values. People do not want all the same things out of life. And that's okay. Thank God for that. We need differences. There's different areas of expertise, different spaces in the world. Um, you know, we need the warriors of the world, uh, certainly at times of war, and uh, you know, to be a sheriff in, in a community, that's an eternal archetypal dilemma. And then there's people that, that aren't connected to that warrior archetype. So what do all these things mean? And, and, you know, how can we understand personality? There's this mixture of archetype and personality type. And I think that's, I think that's what we're going to get into today.
2: You mentioned kind of Myers-Briggs and how uh, you're trying to untangle that with, with the Jungian archetypes. Myers-Briggs seems very structured, you know, it's very yeah. standard. Is there a standard set of Jungian archetypes, agreed set, or is... No. Yeah, that's what we...
0: Yeah. So, um, I mean, there is in my work and I can talk about that, but Uh, There's a tradition that I come from that's rooted in Tony Wolf, who was right there with Jung when he was writing Psychological Types. But you will see things like the 12 archetypes, or they'll even say Jung's 12 archetypes, which Jung never, ever, ever talked about 12 archetypes. That is not Jung, as people on the internet made that up. Or, you know, maybe other authors have their 12 archetype systems, but there is no such thing as Jung's 12 archetypes. Doesn't exist. Jung never talked about there being 12 archetypes. So, and, and Jung really uh, used the term archetype to, to talk about it in a broader and usually a, a real deep psychological way. Tony Wolf, you know, gave us a system of what she called structural forms of the psyche. Structural forms. So there's certain types that are wired a certain way. And then that tradition that Tony Wolf started with structural forms, we shorthanded that to call it archetype. So Tony Wolf, for example, talked about the Amazonian woman, the woman that's driven you know, to achieve and be self-sufficient, and that's her primary way of operating in the world. And so in my work, we talk about the warrior and the Amazon as a, as a structural form of the personality, a, a primary way of finding fulfillment and identity in the world. And the, they are profoundly opposite uh, in many people. Some people are going to have, uh, in Tony's system, there's four different archetypes four different areas of life and we can find primary identification and fulfillment and satisfaction in one. So if, again, to come back to the warrior and Amazon, because people, when we talk about that can generally get it, um, you know, the warriors and Amazons tend to be driven uh, by tangible achievement, financial, physical, how fast can I get up the mountain? How much money can I earn? How many sales can I make today? That is genuinely motivating for warriors and Amazons. Now. I don't identify with that archetype, so that's not my primary way of being, but I can see that there's people that are very happy living their life in that, and so we don't all have to be the same. We can be different, and we'll start to unpack some of these different ways of being, but that's the general thing, that there is this systematized Myers-Briggs types of the introvert and the extrovert, and then there is archetype, and I'm kind of at the the crux between those two things, and I I think there's things to be sorted out, and and that's um, what I do in in my work, is saying, hey, look, we can see these warrior folks and, and other archetypes, and we can understand personality type, but where have we sort of shaved off the edges to make things fit together that maybe don't fit, and where can we pull things apart and go, oh, look, this is a clear difference here, and we can understand our fellow brothers and sisters in a different way, Uh, than simply imagining that everyone has the same values we do, which a lot of people do, and gets them into trouble, I think, sometimes.
1: So I imagine the first part of that, understanding other people and where they are, is first understanding yourself and where you are. And people, I would imagine, have some trouble self-identifying even where they are, because society tells them maybe where they should be. Yes. So how does that play into this system?
0: Yes. Yeah, I, I think um, it's often easier to see the archetypes in other people. So one of the archetypes that Tony talked about was, for example, mother. And uh, that became in the work that I do through a lineage of different teachers over the generations before me. Uh, it became father and mother. And one of the, pe- one of the people that um, contributed to developing Tony's system was uh, Tad Guzzi and uh, Noreen Monroe Guzzi. And so they they developed uh, from Tony's system, mother and father, male and female, masculine and feminine, we could say, versions of all these. And I do really think of them as as yin and yang. I don't think, for example, when I say mother-father, that's one archetype, not like men are this and women are that. It's mother-father's one way of being. And when I talk about it with mother-father, for example, it's an inherent orientation towards community first, team first family first, corporate group first. Whatever I define my tribe as, that's who I serve and who I think about. And so when I teach people about mother-father, and uh, there's also a strong overlap I I found with the five Buddha families from uh, Trungpa. In in Trungpa's work, you know, there's this five Buddha family that fits with that as well. And what it talks about is folks that are oriented towards the community. They find fulfillment and identity in the group. And for a lot of people, that's a very primary drive. But when I teach it, uh, often people think of their parents, of course, because we're using these terms, mother and father, and not the orientation themselves. And it can be very hard for those who truly find their home there to identify with that, because I think mother and father are Especially in the sort of new age spiritual world, like that's the not the cool thing to me. So, you know, in my work, I'm, I'm sort of transitioning, trying to mix in the five Buddha family language to, to to delabel that a little bit and go, look, just look at the energy. These are neutral terms. They're not bad. They're not good. And so, yeah, it, it can be hard and we all have our own shadow and we all have a difference between um, who we think we are perhaps and who maybe we really are. I think there's also a, a particularly American compulsion to sort of consumerly want to be everything. Oh, I'm all the archetypes. Of course I am, right? So <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're exceptional.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and I think there's a lot of ways people lie to themselves about that. And I think there's mm. certain strands of the union work right now that I think there's a lot of people that are really looking for something to keep themselves from seeing the truth about who they are archetypally. But that's another day. So I think, um, yeah, this differentiation, sometimes it's easier to see them out there in other people. But at other times, you know, when I teach the archetype system that I work with, sometimes people right away see their thing and they go, oh yeah, that's who I am. And it can be a freeing process.
1: Well, that's a good segue because Tony and I know exactly who we are. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're, we're doing this podcast, sort of. So, you know, in our collaboration, we definitely have engineering and artistic elements to uh, ourselves and maybe uh there's a blend of them in both of us but also a little you know one or the other one way or the other and it's uh it could be complementary if you're open to that and you understand that uh, It could also be like why do you want to do it that way or i'm not going to do it that way so why don't we hone in on that one because that's kind of what our other guests and our audience is going to be a- about So where do they fall, the artist, engineer, the technical person, the builder, the maker, Mm -hmm. the creator? Where do they fall in all this? Yeah,
0: so for me, I I think about both the artist and the engineer under the label of the sage archetype. And in the system that Tony Wolf taught, the sage and the warrior are opposite, the Amazon and and the media tricks, which we can talk about a little bit later. The sage and the warrior are opposite ends. They're in, in conflict. And you can think about that um, very easily in our world and in our corporate life or in our business life or in our personal life. There's a, a classic example I like to use of the sales folks are out there being, being warriors, making the sale, and then they bring it back to the sages and say, oh, I sold this. Can you make it now? <laughs> but within that sage dynamic, I think both the engineer and the archetype, uh, the engineer and the artist fit there, but in slightly different ways. So for me, the engineer certainly is the sage. It's about knowledge, about understanding. Now, when it comes to the construction site, you're going to see a whole bunch of warriors down there, you know, enjoying getting her done. But in the terms of the the, the architect or the engineer, in, in that sense, sure, that's sage for sure. And I think the artist is too. We might want to peel those two apart by saying, well, perhaps the artist sometimes as someone a bit more connected to the feeling end, the young split feeling and thinking as two ways of making value judgments about the world. The engineer more in the thinking mode and in the objective mode and less in the subjective. So we can divide them up that way. But overall, both to me, artist and engineer, are people who are getting off on problem solving, on puzzle solving, on how can this be done better, on uh, building a better you know, mousetrap or whatever. <laughs> whatever it is and that that is inherently satisfying Uh, my joke about uh you know uh, warrior versus sage one of my jokes is did you really love baseball more or did you love your baseball cards more (laughs) (laughs) and you know of course we can there are people that you could say well they've really got a good handle on both of those sure and there's different ways we can chop this up and look at it but i think we have to understand that there are people who live Mostly in one or mostly in the other, and that creates a lot of the dynamic tension and the conflict in our world um so i'm not really I haven't really answered artist and engineer there. Do you want me to get more into that
1: So far, what you answer is right, and I think they are very similar and they have similar traits. but I guess having spent time, I also can see and i'll give you an example yeah. is uh this is uh years ago. I was doing work in a consulting business, uh, and there were two directors of the facilities, this large campus, actually, Memorial Sloan Kettering, and one was an architect and one was an engineer. Someone said to me, you can always tell who's running the building. One will look beautiful. One will run well. It's, that means it's either being run by an architect or it's being run by an engineer. So, but they're both very technical people in a way, but and they both have to be creative problem solving, yeah. solvers. Yeah. So that that
0: subtlety yeah. between that. To me, that's thinking versus feeling. So Jung thought about thinking and feeling of ways of judgment. So it really fits with the example you gave. So the architect is is looking for beauty and aesthetic value. He's looking for something that really fits together well, that you know has that subtle magical way that you can create something beautiful. And it's it's not, you know, it's an art. And the engineer, it's something technical. You can learn it. Uh, it. It's you know it either runs or it doesn't. You know this thing either works or doesn't. It either flies or it doesn't. It's a yes or a no. It's it's not subjective. So that's very much the difference between thinking and feeling in, in Jungian work.
2: I'm very interested in you mentioned the media and the sage kind of go together complementary, mm-hmm. like maybe mother and father. But when I read in your book, it seems to me like I don't see the connection. So, but there is a connection. The sage is kind of an intellectual. The media, uh, Mediatrix is through their intuition. How do those fit together, like mother and father sage media, Mediatrix?
0: Yeah, I think they fit together, um, maybe you might think of it as, as like the shaman uh, archetype, which is certainly, for me, a part of sage. So the difference between these two, and, and Tony Wolf originally conceived the Mediatrix from her own experience. Um, so the term Mediatrix refers to the medial woman or medial person who knows something through the unconscious. So they've got a hit, they don't know why. So this is the Oracle at Delphi. Many, many, I mean, virtually every indigenous and ancient tradition finds some place or some relationship to um, the medial person. So you can read the Roman historian Tacitus talking about a German CRS who knew that, who claimed that her tribe of the German barbarians were going to defeat the Romans, and they did. He talks about how the Germans have this, you know, they really honor this figure and they honor people who, women who can do this. And so there's an intuitive, you know, intuitive way of understanding you're getting knowledge from an irrational way. It's not logical. It's coming from a different source, yet it can be true. And of course, there's all kinds of shadow there. I mean, you can imagine that, you know, people saying they can do this when they can't or all kinds of shadow, just as there is with any archetype. But in certain figures, you see both of them blended. I feel blended in them in my life. I, I run on intuition, but I'm certainly very sagacious. I've just written a very clear, objectively re- readable book on Jung. But, you know, if you how I run my life is from my gut. It's from my intuition. And in Jung's life, he would, I mean, there's exa- so many examples of Jung running from an intuitive or almost shamanistic place. Like he would say to his secretary, such and such is going to call today. You better make an appointment for them. And they would, you know, this isn't every day, but once in a while he would get little hits like that. And it was just accepted. And we don't go, oh, this is weird or supernatural or freaky. I mean, there's so much judgment about that, especially I, I think, you know, in America, maybe England too, certain countries really, really don't like that energy. And you can you can get into like the, the shadow father versus the witch and the witch burnings and all that. There's a real, a lot of people can have a very, you're very frightened by that. And so what I'm saying is this is normal. This is natural. That way of being for some people, it's just part of the human mystery of life. Um, so, so there are differences there, but they're both interested in understanding. You might want to think about like divination. You know, we we whether it's the I Ching or tarot or whatever form of divination, that there's a way that you know it's not rational, it's not logical, but sometimes it it's pointing to something that's true, uh, and certainly these intuitive hits of knowing before, you know, Jung did not see the psyche as something that lives in our brains. The psyche is a field. The psyche extends time and space backwards and forward. There's all kinds of mysteries. Um, to the psyche and to the world that our culture just rejects, pretends isn't there, denies, doesn't want to, you know, really allow to exist, but yet they're there. People have had experiences. They've had a sense of, oh, my loved one is in danger. They've, you know, how many stories are there of a loved one appearing at at a brother or sister's bedside when they're passing? There's a lot of mysteries of life that we've just shuffled off to the side that we don't want to look at. And Jung welcomed those in. That was part of his struggle with Freud. And there were all kinds of weird incidents like that between the two of them. Uh, and so he says, Look, all of these people are interested in knowing. So, my, my most general breakdown between the, the sage mediatrix and the warrior Amazon is knowing versus doing. Now, some people you can say, Hey, they've got both those going on. And okay, that, that's great. I'm not making judgments, and people can figure all this out for themselves. But understand that there are very different people. Some people want to just get her done. Just show me what to do and I'll crack at it. And some people you know, want to reflect. They, they want to have an inner process as what they do every day. And nobody's wrong.
2: That's great. That makes a lot of sense to me in terms of tying together our view of the artist engineer. They're both searching, as you said, for knowledge, for understanding, just in different ways, kind of a technical truth sometimes, like the most elegant way to do something or an artistic truth. So that makes a lot of sense. It's very interesting.
1: You also mentioned uh, the shadow uh, uh, one or two times in there, which you hear a lot about in the, in the more new age society. And I don't know if everyone in our audience is, uh, is familiar with their shadow or not. For this archetype, the artist engineer, what are their shadow issues?
0: Okay, all right.
1: You know, we've just been pumping them up so far. <laughs> Tell them how great they are.
0: <laughs> you want me to cut them down a little? Yeah, you want me to cut, cut them down a little? Uh, well, and anything I say about the shadow of the sage and the mediatrix, of course, would be, you know, partly a lot of it might be my shadow, too. So, well, the first thing is to say what we mean with shadow. So there's a way that that the word shadow sometimes just means anything that's unconscious in us. So when people say, oh, you know, oh, some shadow stuff, that, that just sort of means anything that we're we're not quite conscious of or something we don't know that we're doing. We don't understand that we're doing so. If someone has a complex, if somebody and everybody does pretty much (laughs) have some complexes, have some, you know, unconscious actors roaming around in their psychological basement. And for Jung, it's the unconscious that really runs everything and not the conscious mind. So, you know, it's this iceberg beneath the surface of all these energies down here below that are really predominant, not the conscious mind. But the shadow is used to refer to to anything that we're not aware of, we don't know that we're doing. And in a way, like the conscious mind could never integrate all the unconscious. So there's always gonna be lots of things that are unconscious for us. But there's a more specific sort of technical, Jungian, clinical, psychological reference to the shadow. And the shadow might be understood as like the opposite of our conscious self or our persona all those values and qualities that are rejected by our dominant values. I think one of our illusions is that we're all, like I said, everybody thinks that we're all the same. We're all going somewhere. No, no, no. If your whole, your whole way of understanding yourself isn't just based on accepting and positively embracing certain things. It's also based on rejecting their opposites, right? So if you think, well, I'm Mr. Kindness and I'm great. Well, you know, maybe you're rejecting some of your own cruelty and your own, know those kind of energies so um specifically you know and and that that shadow it is possible through work and it's very difficult but you can actually have a like a relationship and get a sense and a feel for almost who that is if that makes sense that that your shadow is almost a who inside you a part of, of your psyche that has its own uh activity in its own way and you know there's a great um Description of this, uh, I think I quoted in the book from one of the um, Analysts on Jungian online, which is the client referral matching service to work with an analyst via video that I run Uh, Elizabeth Pomez she talks about her shadow um, You know holding all those opposite values that were opposite from her daylight awareness and, and that you're never going to fully integrate that Because it's it's all those opposite values, but you can you can have a relationship with it nonetheless you can understand that that part of you is there and that it's always going to be some tension. So, and work on that with your analysts, folks. <laughs> but, um, but for the sage, so I identify super strongly with the sage. Like I can remember being eight, nine, 10 on an actual typewriter in a public school. Great, I had a beautiful public school education. Thank you, Saskatchewan. And, you know, the, wind, the sun coming in the window and tapping away on the typewriter and that school was a place of solace for me, a place of security, a place of being able to shine, and that I strongly, strongly identify with the sage. Now, what, if you're living in the world of sage, what might you be missing? Well, I mean, I think a way to talk about these oppositions is to say, what is the sage without the warrior? Now, not everybody is the sage without the warrior. There are some people that will say, "Well, I really feel strongly like I've got both of these." Well, beautiful, that's that's your experience of you, tremendous. But there are people who might be warrior without sage, and might be sage without warrior, or very limited. You know, like we we talk about. Well, I'll I'll hit, I'll punch the warrior a few times before I punch the sage. Just. <laughs> Even it out. So we might know some of our warrior friends that are very much get by on aggression, get by on assertion, get by on like, I'm gonna get what I want, and if you don't like it, you know what? And maybe those people sometimes aren't the most self-reflective. <laughs> they're not necessarily spending a lot of time wondering about, you know, figuring things out and how they're affecting others. They're just bullying their way through the world. And God bless them. You know, that's just as valid a way of surviving this crazy madness we're all in as anything else. And it gives them, often they're very vital, they're strong, except there's lots of beautiful, great qualities there. Now the sage in this knowing, in this reflection, in this inner world, boy, you can get lost in there. You know, for me, I need to go play tennis. I need to go get physical. I need to go do things to get me grounded and connected to my body and not just in my head and you know, you can over self-reflect, you can get lost in the inner too much. And you can also ex- expect everyone else to be just as self-reflective and just as good at, I mean, a lot of people aren't good at, um, you know, figuring things out and processing large amounts of information the way the sages. is, and you can expect other people to be that way. And it's like, no, people are different. Not everybody can do that. So the sage can, can lose, miss the warrior and miss, miss the, the need to do. You know, with writing uh, my first book, I, I could have written it. I mean, I took years to write it and I could have taken more years. And that the sage will just endlessly polish that machine in the lab and just, oh, it's not quite perfect yet. Oh, it's like, you got to send it and see if it'll fly. So you got to reality test your ideas.
1: It just reminded me of another one of our interviews, uh, quoted a Steve Jobs quote, and he said that great artist ship. <laughs> you have to ship the product. I mean, it'd be great to make this great product, but if I don't ship it, it doesn't matter.
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that resonates a lot. I mean, we, we all know that the idealistic computer programmer have to do it right, kind of get it right, or the idealistic artist, you know, you, ha- you have to get this painting or this music exactly uh, perfect. That makes a lot of sense in terms of being able to balance kind of what your persona is, kind of what your uh, outward nature is and something that might be holding you back.
0: Yeah, well, and, and think about it. I mean, there's so many ways we can look at it also personally too. Like maybe you're not asserting yourself to get your needs met in the world. In certain ways because you've you've you know withdrawn into that inner space so you know there's a lot of different ways that we can look at the shadow of the sage and say there, there's qualities of life you might be missing and I think looking at the opposite archetype for what you might be missing is just a real handy thing and then to me you know when I'm working with people I say own your own your gold first I mean try and say look I'm a brilliant artist I'm a brilliant engineer I'm a, I'm great at this. I'm, you know, I'll own those good qualities before you start looking at other archetypes and say, well, oh, I need to be that too. Well, we're never gonna be all of them. We're just really never gonna be all of them. And it and there's some a lot of people out there saying, oh, you know, you're gonna integrate this, you're gonna integrate that. And it's like, no, you're gonna pretend you've integrated those things <laughs> for a weekend workshop for a minute. <laughs> you know? And it's like just own who you are and, and celebrate who you are and then look across and go, okay, those people are opposite from me. I sure would like to, to be a little bit more like that. So I'm going to dip my toe in that water and try.
2: Yeah. I'd be happy if I got one archetype and one kind of one whole self nailed down versus the 12 of them. <laughs>
0: yes. Yes.
1: Yeah, you know, we were talking kind of in career and, and either art and technology. And you mentioned just in your own life, and I remember this even with some of the personality assessments. People say, well, I'm that way at work, but I'm this way at home, and I'm that way with my friends, and I'm this way over here. You know, How much shifting really happens in those, uh, in those different settings?
0: I personally don't believe there's much shifting in terms of personality type and archetype in the course of life. Maybe some adjusting, like a midlife change. I've been this. In the second half of my life, I'm, I'm going to be more that one sort of shift, a slight shift, not a complete flip to the opposite, but, a, you know, our chart's a circle, so we move a little towards one wing or one side or the other. So I don't think people and personalities shift much developmentally. I think that's very overstated, and most people that suggest that aren't really being too honest with themselves. That's my opinion. But this thing you're talking about, if I experience myself in different archetypal spaces or personality type spaces with different people, sure. And I mean, I think unfortunately for a lot of people going to work means putting on a fake persona, putting on a a way of being that necessarily isn't authentic. So there's that. And our world asks them to do that, you know? And I mean, frankly, a lot of, you know, the world is sucking up to people, (laughs) you know, or something like that, right? So, you know, that maybe isn't comfortable or pleasant or whatever. And so people have to put on a certain way of being. So you can find, and people often will go, oh, I don't like, I, I know that there's that part of me and I feel bad or I don't like it. So there can be these different places and spaces, and I'm a certain way here and I'm a certain way there. But I think if you, I mean, when I'm working with somebody around personality type and archetype, I, I want to talk about who they really are, who their authentic, self and what authentically motivates them without value judgments about different spaces of that, without saying any one of these is bad. All of them can be, good or bad, and there's no right or wrong archetype.
1: Great. We've had conversations about this uh, here uh, on a couple interviews and also just between each other about there's a whole bring your whole self to work, bring a more authentic self to work, and and the fact that people are now zooming into each other's living room certainly adds to that. Sure. So so hopefully there's a a shift in that where we break from those different personas and uh, you put on the suit and look like this and then go home and. For act sure. Like for sure.
0: People talk about that. You can almost imagine that as like the midlife crisis, right? It's like, Oh, I've been, I've been faking it. I've been faking it. Now I want to be real. Or, you know, as people mature in their careers, they, do, they don't want to be fake. They do want to work somewhere where they can be real or they want to start their own business and find a way that they can be real in the world and be valued for that. I mean, that's beautiful when you can really find your primary income through doing things that are meaningful and truly your own i mean that's beautiful and that is you know what we all want to do and uh, i think a good archetypal understanding certainly helps and personality type
2: too we have a lot of those stories as well uh in in the people on this podcast people who switch careers kind of in the middle to kind of be a little bit more true to themselves it's very very common actually uh, when people kind of go through a bit of like struggle to like be a different person and then they they realize kind of what, what uh, kind of fulfills them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you mentioned your work, maybe just talk a little bit. I know some of it. I, I know you're an author. I know you do trainings. I, I, I But tell us a little bit about what, what you, what you are doing, how you're helping people with sure, this.
0: Sure. Thank you. So the archetype work that I do right now is called archetypal nature. There's probably going to be a transition in how I brand that. Uh, material soon but for now folks can check out archetypal nature and i will be doing an intro course to that probably well it will start in january so i've been doing that for a, a long time my first um, exposure to that material was over 25 years ago so i've been seeing the world through that lens for a long time and had a lot of time to think about all of the questions and so there's the archetype piece then about 10 years ago, I started Jungian Online, which again connects people with Jungian analysts to work via video. Started that in 2011, and it is going crazy now, as you can imagine, uh, which is very meaningful because, I mean, both the analysts and the clients are very grateful, and people are able to do the kind of work they want to do from home and, and uh, with safety and security and ease and comfort. It's better for the environment. So uh, Jungian Online uh, has been booming. I'm also starting Jung Academy, which is a place where the analysts on Jungian Online and myself are gonna be offering courses uh, that are for everyday people uh, on how these things all work. So, uh, and I did write this book that came out in May that you guys read, which was um, Carl Jung Knowledge in a Nutshell uh, for the Arcturus book series, Knowledge in a Nutshell. And people have been, I mean, the feedback has been amazing and it feels really wonderful. And very moved by it. And, uh, I appreciate the nice things that you guys have said to me about it as well. So,
1: well, this has been a great conversation and, uh, and and I'm sure that work of connecting people, there are people do need so much help right now as we, uh, we all go through this as a connected world. The work is certainly fascinating. This has been terrific. And I want to thank you for being on the show with us. Thank you
0: for having me. This is really fun. Good luck with it.
2: Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can email us at podcast at theartistengineer.com if you have show ideas or want to follow up with feedback or just want to say hi. We'd love to hear from you, so feel free to connect. You can find more information about this episode in the show notes at www.theartistengineer.com. And finally, if you enjoyed the show, please leave an iTunes review as it helps the show get discovered by more people. And also hit the subscribe button.